Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions, and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. Hi, this is Professor Chapman. Recently we've been doing some Facebook Live sessions where I've been answering questions from the listeners and participants. What you're about to hear now is some audio of those segments and I hope they'll be useful for you. Question from Jody: low egg count, 0.07, what are my chances? As I said earlier, it comes a little bit back to age. Those sort of numbers are usually in women over 40. We not only have small egg numbers, but also their egg quality is poor. But if you were still having a cycle every 30 days and you were 30 years of age with that low number, provided you're making an egg each month, as women normally do, your chances of success are actually the same as any other 30-year-old to fall pregnant spontaneously. If you need to go on to IVF, however, that very low egg number is going to be a, a major impediment to producing lots of eggs, which really IVF relies upon to create a good pregnancy for you. It depends on your age is probably the bottom line from my perspective. My question is about recurrent miscarriage. All basic no. testing has been done and a laparoscopy for diagnosis diagnosis of endo. I've had three miscarriages in one and a half years, all quite early before eight weeks. I felt pregnant in my first round of letrozole, but miscarried. What further testing would I be asking for next? Thank you. Okay, well, I hope when they did the laparoscopy to look for endometriosis, they also did a hysteroscopy that's looking inside the uterus with a telescope because one of the causes of recurrent miscarriage uh, can be a lining which has chronic inflammation that's relatively straightforwardly tested when they do the hysteroscopy to take a sample of the lining of the womb and send it to a pathologist. The other thing inside the uterus is the shape of the uterus or whether there's scar tissue within the uterus. So a hysteroscopy uh, hopefully is being done. In terms of basic investigations, we all have a different take on what, what constitutes basic. So hopefully both your, you and your, your husband have had genetic testing so that you're not carriers of, of a trans, what's called a translocation, which increases your risks of miscarriage. We also look at blood clotting disorders, a tendency towards blood clotting, um, which if we find we give blood thinners in early pregnancy. Then immunological causes. Um, there's some diseases, disease called lupus, which is an antiphospholipid problem and which is associated with increased risks of miscarriage. There are some people who look for something called NK cells, natural killer cells, on the basis that these, if they're in excess, may be rejecting the pregnancy. Uh, and these can be suppressed with steroids. The evidence for that last one is marginal. But certainly if I see a woman with a current miscarriage and I find elevated levels of NK cells, I do use steroids uh, sometimes with success. Once a pregnancy is established after a positive pregnancy test, uh, the other thing I tend to do is to add in progesterone or progesterone stimulator. I've previously used um, Pregnal uh, HCG injections twice weekly, but unfortunately they are about to run out of supply uh, worldwide and the company's not prepared to keep uh, supplying them. So that will push us back to using progesterone vaginally with tablets every day. Because I think 
although the evidence is not strong, there may be a subgroup of women with recurrent miscarriage who do have uh, some degree of progesterone deficiency. And so not maintaining the pregnancy is due to that. In randomised controlled trials, that hasn't been shown to be the case. But in a situation where you do no harm, I certainly would be using that sort of management uh, if we found nothing else wrong with you. So I hope that helps. It's one of my areas of interest. Uh, if you wanted to do a consult after you've seen your specialist to verify what, uh, what's going on, uh, I'd be more than happy. I suppose my last comment in relation to that is that three miscarriages is uncommon by chance. But if we look at women who've had three miscarriages and we find none of those abnormalities in the testing that I've discussed, your chances of carrying a baby to, to term in your next pregnancy is still greater than 70%. So don't lose hope. Read the COVID vax, definitely agree to have it, but just wondering if better to do it after the first trimester, once the fetus's organs have already developed, or just do it even in the very early pregnancy? Well, there's no evidence so far that the vaccine makes any difference to embryogenesis. Those of us that have had the vaccine, a percentage of us did suffer flu-type flu symptoms, achy, nausea for 24 hours or so. And that on top of your pregnancy symptoms might be a bit of a downer. Uh, but in terms of causing any damage, the evidence is it's not a problem because many women have had COVID vaccinations and not realised they were pregnant. Question from Elise. I've gone through my first cycle, age 37, history of ectopic 16 months ago, one block tube, elevated thyroid antibodies, slight PCOS, AMH of 23. His sperm is good. We got 14 eggs, nine mature, five fertilized. We have four embryos on day five and transferred one fresh, fully hatched blastocyst on Saturday, but Sunday we lost the other three. What could be the reason and why would we lose the blasts from day five to six? Was really disappointed to lose them so late. Yeah, that, that, that is an unusual situation. Mostly day five embryos are around on day six. In fact, we used to thaw embryos on day five the night before transferring the next morning and it's rare that we lost an embryo i mean there is probably two or three percent loss but you wouldn't expect that otherwise no I, i'm not sure i can give you an answer for that one but i mean, don't lose hope because with your age and with that number of uh, eggs you almost certainly are going to get pregnant also is a fully hatched blast does it have a better chance of implantation yeah well, it's it's the it's the natural step before attachment to the uterus and that occurs around day five of development, to some extent at the finishing line, <laughs> uh, because that's, that's the process that has to occur once it gets inside the uterus. And if it's starting to happen at that point, then that's great. It's the, the chicken coming out of the egg is what I say when I see them on the screen when we're putting them back. And they do have a better chance of success, it would appear. Another question from Cassie Prof. She says, hi, Prof, thoughts on what IVF cycle is best for someone with PCOS and endometriosis, agonist or antagonist? Many thanks. Well, the overall evidence is that for PCOS, antagonist, the short cycle, reduces your chances of hyperstimulation syndrome. And uh, really, the balance is very much in favour of that. And up to a point, a long down regulation cycle, the, the, the agonist protocol really makes no impact on endometriosis. If you're going to use um, an agonist, you need to use it for two, three, four months before an IVF cycle to make any difference to your endometriosis. If the endometriosis is severe, having the laparoscopy and excising as much as possible before you go to the IVF cycle is probably going to improve your pregnancy rates. 
And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.